We should remember a few dates. On Tuesday, is it on Wednesday, is Avalokitesvara Day. The day when Avalokitesvara was ordained, more, eons ago, millions of years ago. Um, now that's the day that was chosen uh, for the ordination of, of two people in, in our temple, two devotees. One is a, a lady, the other is a gentleman. So one is to be ordained into uh, Samandari, and one is to be ordained into Samandara. On the 23rd will be the ordination date. The ordination of the Samandara and Samandari. The day before will be the tonsuring date. I trace the etymology of the word. It traces back to a religious cutting hair. Religiously, cutting away the hair is the tonsuring of the head. That means there's a time when the hair is shaved off, and there's a certain ceremony uh, that will be performed during the tonsuring, one day before the ordination, in the evening. So 5.30, we will do the, a repentance ceremony, and then we have tonsuring, and at the same time will be some chanting. And then the next day will be the ordination, and then we start at 8. The tonsuring itself is not that long. It could be about just an hour, 45 minutes, but the ordination is, is of course, longer. The ordination procedure for the 22nd, I have compiled the formal ordination procedure. It's 30 pages, Chinese written manual for the ceremony. I plan to translate it into English so that maybe next year we can do a short time ordination. There's such a thing as a seven day ordination for people. So in other words, if you want to, I want to come to be a monk for seven days only, or some to a samanara, samanari for seven days only then I'm organizing uh, such an event for next year. So uh, you put it in your calendar in 2014 if you would like to participate. And this year we have two people. One is a lady, the other is a gentleman. Uh, the lady is going to be ordained into a seminary. You may not know about this lady because she comes from Hong Kong. But there's another gentleman who would be ordained. And this gentleman, you already know him. So I have to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> I can't just let the cat, the cat be hiding in the bag. Uh, I have been hiding it because uh, uh, he does not want this disclosed uh, until the last moment. Because it is believed uh, by many, many uh, devotees that if you release the information too early, there's got to be a lot of hurdles and obstacles that will prevent you from doing that. Uh, so he uh, doesn't want to disclose. And this person I can disclose to you now because he already disclosed to, to, uh, to the staff. So this person who's going to be ordained is Richie. Uh, that will be uh, ordained and, and she, he has already planned it for three years since he came to, to the temple three years ago. He graduated from university uh, four years ago and then um, he went to Shanghai to look after his mom uh, because his mom was sick for approximately a year for nine months and during the nine months he um, he also had a, a personal tutor from 
the Fudan University in Shanghai for, for learning Chinese. So he had a very uh, progressive development in the learning of Chinese. And he's born in, in Canada. He's a local born, he's a Canadian-born Chinese. And, um, but he is able to master the Chinese language, more or less. But he's, of course, there's no such thing as mastery of a language. I've been learning for English for 50 years, and I'm still a learner. <laughs> I, 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 can, I have not mastered it. Uh, who, who's, who can say I, I'm the master of the English language? No, no nobody. I want to uh, say a little bit more about Richie so that uh, I, I, I have a message to, to get across to you. Uh, in many situations, when a, when, when a person wants to be ordained as a monk or a nun, uh, if the news get released, we always think, oh, maybe um, he lost his girlfriend. Or maybe he's lost his job, he got fired. And then uh, maybe uh, he, had his, um, he has a mental problem and uh, he does not want to, uh, to be living in a society. Or he's driven out from his home. He couldn't get a job. Uh, he gets sick and tired of the university. He gets sick and tired of life. That's the reason why he want to, uh, he want to get out from there and to be uh, to getting into the temple. Or he has no ability to get any job. Uh, that's the reason why he want to depend on the temple for food and lodging. People are so, most people are so negative um, when they think about this. I would like to get the message that that doesn't happen to everybody. Uh, for example, Richie, he graduated five years ago and when he was at, when he was at high school, he, he studied in one of the best high schools in Vancouver, St. George's, which is a very good high boy school, and he got very good uh, schoolwork, scholastic record. And then he was given a, a full scholarship uh, at UBC uh, after graduation from St. George's, a full scholarship. He enrolled with one of the Ivy Leagues uh, in America, University of Pennsylvania. And University of Pennsylvania was famous for studying finance because they had the Wharton School of Finance, of Commerce. The Wharton School, it's, the undergraduate studies program of Wharton School is even better than Harvard. Now Harvard is good at MBA, but Harvard is not as good as Wharton in undergrad. So Wharton is the number one uh, finance and commerce school in America. He went into UPenn and he studied for four years. Uh, Wharton School, and then he graduated with summa cum laude. And for those who may not know what summa cum laude is, summa cum, summa cum laude is a Latin word saying a first class honors. Before he graduated, on the third year, he was enrolled uh, into uh, a summer, summer student program in Hong Kong and Merrill Lynch for finance. And at that time, they recruit 16 uh, third-year students across Canada and North America, 16 uh, uh, expats, expatriates, going to Hong Kong, working in Hong Kong. And then after working for, uh, they pay really high, really high salary for summer students, uh, $40,000 per month, plus uh, 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 allowance for housing. And that's very, very high salary for the 16 people. And after working for three months, um, they had an evaluation 
and uh, Richie was classed the second of the, uh, uh, the second highest uh, in well, as a summer student, and he was given a full-time position with Merrill Lynch uh, upon graduation. But he had to look after his mom, so he, uh, he declined the, the, the offer. But then Merrill Lynch said, uh, oh, uh, the reason why you couldn't come is because you wanted to look after your mom, because his mom is suffering from uh, a very serious sickness and needs somebody to tend to. So he is staying with, with his mom for nine months. Every, staying, uh, looking after the mom. And then he said, I can't come because I have to look after my mom. My mom is sick. Oh, I, uh, that, that's the case. Good. You, you're, you're a very unique candidate. I, I'll, I'll open this job for you. You can, for two years, you can come back any time during the two years. So uh, four or five months later, then uh, his mom seems to recover. So he started to think about a job in Shanghai at that time. But at the time, somehow, there was a financial crisis over the world, and Merrill Lynch was swallowed up by other companies. Merrill Lynch disappeared, no more than Merrill Lynch. He heard the news from his fellow students in, um, in America, in San Francisco. The name of the company is Dr. Cox, looking for uh, a candidate, uh, a staff to help the CEO of the company. And then Dr. Cox is running uh, finance advice on an amount of $18,000 million, something like that, for clients. They are interviewing people from across America. And then uh, so Richie called San Francisco, a number of telephone, telephone calls, and then, um, and then they want to invite Richie to San Francisco for an interview. And they have all the CEOs and uh, CEOs and VPs and interview him. And out of the 240 candidates across America, those are MBAs and high level, and those, those are the people with job experiences, Richie was the only person given the job. But then later, um, his mom passed away and he was ready to take up the job. But his mom passed away, and unfortunately, his mom, um, in the final four or five years, um, involved in a lot of businesses of her own and in uh, some investments and investments in properties and all that. And because of her sickness, she make, she make wrong decision in almost all of them. And uh, the estate was given to, uh, to Richie and, and it was bankrupt. <laughs> no money in there. And Richie returned home after, after the burial of, 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 of his mom and then uh, receive a call from the bank. Uh, the, the bank manager said, oh, well, look, you haven't paid up the mortgages for five months, and next month we're gonna foreclose you. Uh, no more, no more notice. So imagine when you're, uh, uh, when you're a young guy, you, your, mother, your mom died, and you, uh, and you return home, and then you return to your, to your home, your house, and then you receive a call that you have to be evicted within a month, <laughs> no, more, no more place to live. So he started to handle the estates, her mom's estates, a bankrupt estates. And, and then I said, don't work in, in America anymore. Just come back to Vancouver and, look, and uh, you know, handle the estates and help out the temple. And you, you, you already have a lot of time to do that. If you work with somebody, then who's going to handle the estates? It's so messy. It's so messy. It's not because of the 
because in the final years of his mom's years, uh, she couldn't make decisions anymore, sick, being sick. So, I, so he, uh, he stayed, he stayed and handled the estates. And uh, for the past two and a half years, with a lot of strenuous work, a lot of efforts and a lot of consultations and a lot of really overcoming a lot of difficulties, he, he managed to turn the bankrupt estates into a profit. So didn't have to go out to look for a house anymore, and, and he was able to uh, not just turning the bankruptcy into a, into a surplus situation, but was able to make money for future chari charity work, because he promised his mom that everything would be given to charity or something like that. So at the same time, he's helping out the temple. At the same time, uh, handling a lot of other things. And the time now is finished handling the estate. It's all been uh, uh, taken care of now by him. And um, he started to research into Buddhism since two and a half years ago. Uh, he read Madhyamaka Karika, he read um, Yogacara, uh, Precepts, Manu, and he read a lot of Chinese books and English books. He was particularly impressed by two big shoes. One is uh, Ajabram, the other is Venerable Punachi. These enlightened people. Then he started to change. He started to meditate two hours, three hours per day. And then at the same time, he was doing the triathlon. And a year and a half ago, he told me, uh, because in the triathlon, he always mixed with the professional trainers. And he himself got a professional trainer for the triathlon too. You know what triathlon is? Yeah. And then he told me that I have uh, a little bit of enlightenment. I said, what enlightenment? So if I use my discipline and my consistency in being trained in triathlon, and if I use that in Buddhism and in enlightenment, I could be a sotopana within a few years. Well, I said, yeah, you could be, if you, if you discipline yourself so much. Because in triathlon, you have to practice jogging for one hour, and swimming for another hour and bicycling for another hour, three hours per day, uh, discipline, and so that you can catch up with the others. So he said, wow, if, I, if that, can, that kind of discipline can be applied, because he is a person who believes in discipline. So I said, yes. So he started to change. And then I said, to be a monk, you need to be a celibate. Uh, you're just a young guy, you're 26 years old, can you be a celibate? I mean, I mean you have to give up all your man and woman relationship uh, for once and for all. Uh, are you learning to adopt a celibacy uh, without even try before to, uh, to attain enlightenment? Who has achieved celibacy and going towards enlightenment uh, without having, having relationships? Very few people. But he said, then maybe I'll practice the impurity visualization. So he started to practice the, the impurity visualization. Remember that the core four contemplations, uh, visualization of impurity, he's found is very effective. So that kind of idea, that kind of relationship idea, that kind of non-celibacy, and in other words, uh, essential pleasure, desire, and all that, gradually would be minimized and minimized to a degree that you don't need it anymore. You don't need to. Of course, you have to practice it every day. If you don't practice it, it comes back again. The reason why we reincarnate, the reason why we come to this karma world, is because we have that desire. And Freud 
the, the, one of the well-known psychologists said that that sexual desire is nothing but a release of tension. Once you accumulate all this sexual desire in you, in your mind, you are building up tension. And when the thought gets so strong, you are pressurized, you got released it. You're looking for release of this, of this pressure. And it's nothing but a release of the pressure. But then, of course, everybody has to practice it every day to achieve the purity. So that's the story. So that's the story I want to tell you, because I want, the, the, the reason I want to tell you this is not, is not to aggrandize, is, to, is, is not to praise, to overpraise uh, uh, anybody's um, good deeds. It's to, a message to you, not everybody is using, uh, is it, it, ordained uh, uh, because he couldn't have any work to do. In other words, not everybody is using ordination and Hide, uh, get, uh, uh, being among the temple, not everybody is using that as an escapade from the daily lives, the boredom of the daily life, or the hustle bustle of the daily life. Getting into a temple and become ordained is not an escapade. You don't, you, don't, you don't escape something to get into a temple. It's an advancement. It's a spiritual advancement going further and further. If you can get into the, into the path of celibacy, you're already on your road to enlightenment. Because who can? Very, very few people can. Uh, even if you can, maybe you're already senior. You don't need it anymore. For the young guy, it's very difficult. But that's what it is. The message is, don't think that being a monk is an escapade um, from uh, the hustle bustle or the boredom or the, or, or, of life. It's not the escape life. I talked to Richard this, Richard this morning. I was, I, Richard said, "Oh, don't mention anything. You know, nobody. You know, when, um, you know it, it's 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 uh, it's an exaggeration. It is not. The message is: um, don't think that you will live forever. Death confronts you any time. When you die, you don't have any more time to practice. You're going to roll with your karma into the next life." Who knows what your next life will be? When you're 60 years old, you think, I can live for another 30 years until I'm 90. Who can guarantee that? Nobody can. You are competing with the taking of time. Time is always ahead of you. You can't beat time. It beats you. Sakamuni Buddha gave up his throne to be the king, to become an ascetic. So if you think that becoming an ascetic, becoming a monk is an escapade, think about it. He has the luxuries of the king. He didn't want to be the king. He wanted to find something beyond. He wanted to find something that, that surpassed luxuries, that is more wise than that. Will you explain once again what happens when a person dies? When a person dies, when a person dies, if he's clinically pronounced dead, um, no breath, of course, no, no, more, no more breathing. But his alaya consciousness, according to the sutra, will leave the body. It may leave immediately. In other words, the consciousness, because there are eight consciousnesses, there are eight altogether, but the eighth one is called the storage, the store consciousness, or the banking consciousness. So when you die, then everything shrinks into the storage consciousness. Your eyes can't see anymore. I think the eyes could be the first function to leave you. Because when a person dies, the doctor shines a flashlight into your eye and opens your eyes and say, Oh, this guy, this person is dead. 
because the pupil no more functions. The retina reflects onto the brain and then you have a reflex action for you to see. But then when you die, that function is gone. You won't have that function. You can see from the outside. So your eye function is gone. And then the next would be what? Your smelling function may be gone. Your taste function is gone. And then your, your touch function is gone. And then maybe last, maybe, I'm guessing, but I still have to check into it. Your hearing function is gone. So your hearing more or less go at a later stage. If you are the, uh, the relatives of the dying person, uh, don't cry. Because if you cry at, a, at his bedside, so he's so cherishing his, 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 his lifetime that he didn't want to go. He is so agonizing because you, the fact that you're crying, it makes him feel, feel sad, grief-stricken. He don't want to go. He wants attached. So he can't, his, his, his consciousness can't leave the body. So don't cry. Don't cry and don't argue. You don't laugh. People argue when a person dies. Argue on what? On the estates. The sons and daughters. When a person die, or a rich man uh, die, and then the, son, the, the elder son may say, look, dad's dead, so uh, I'm going to look after all these things and I'll let you know what happened. No, 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 let's do it together. No, I already got a lawyer for you. No, we better hire a common lawyer. And the second son said, no, I, I, I think that it's fair that we have a meeting. What kind of meeting? I'm the eldest son. And the third son said, no, we have to be fair. Father's property should be distributed evenly. So they have an argument. And this poor old man lying in there, he still can hear all this argument. He was so infuriated. He wanted, he wanted to get up and punch these guys, but he couldn't. <laughs> he can't move anymore. So one asked me, when a person dies, he can't move when he dies. When you die, you can't move. So the, the hearing function's gone. And then slowly, the eighth consciousness will leave the body. It may leave the body instantly. It may leave the body within seven days. It should leave the body within seven days. Or the, on the eighth day, will leave the body. Where does it leave the body? There's certain locations. I don't want to get into details on that. I can talk about it later. It leaves the body from certain locations. And people say, Judging by where the consciousness leaves the body, you know where that person is going to reincarnate into. I'll get into detail later for that. So seven days later, the, the, the consciousness would leave the body. And what is this consciousness? You can't see this consciousness. Consciousness is an energy. How can you see? How can you see energy? It's, it's a, an energy, we call it a liar consciousness, that leaves the body. And it roams about. And we call that consciousness, we give a term to it, and we call it the bado stage. B-A-R-D-O, the bado stage. Being would roam around. He's still around. But he can't stay for too long. Maybe for 49 days. And then he will roll into the next form of reincarnation. In other words, he, get, he gets into another body. He becomes another person. He becomes a baby in the, in the mom's embryo. Yes? Is that consciousness also the same that is called the soul? Does not matter what, what name you, you call it. I could call it A or B or C or D. Does it matter? A name is a mean, is a medium to think. If you don't have a name, you cannot think. Imagine if 
if orange, we don't call it orange, if flowers, we don't call it flowers, if nothing in this world has a name to it, can you think? Because my understanding yes. is in Buddhism, there's no belief that there is soul. When Buddhism don't believe in a soul? Yes. Who said so? Yeah, no. In some of the books, um, books it says, but not every book is right. We don't claim that to be wrong. It, sometimes when you read a book, don't just attach to the common English meaning. You can call the soul your consciousness. You can call the soul your uh, a liar, uh, which nana. It's something, it's an energy that leaves the body. Somebody called it the soul. Somebody called it energy. Somebody called it, call it I don't know. What name do you like? It, don't just say, oh, Buddhism does not believe in a soul. So whenever anybody's called a soul, no, that's not Buddhism. You, that word soul is shooting out from your mouth. That's not Buddhism. <laughs> no, that's not the way to judge. No, um, it's the meaning. The, the, the soul is just what is left of, what is, what is the related, I don't know how you call it. Taragata, suchness, uh, I don't know. It's just a name. Don't attach to a name. If you attach to a name, that's an attachment. I say, whatever you call it, <laughs> we like it, <laughs> whatever you call it.